Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, I know you're going to be shocked, but I have a question for you. Start the podcast out this week. It kind of adds a nice spice of life to my Sunday, you know, especially over the last like year and a half, I think. Like, yeah. you can really, there are not a lot of surprises in the world, but you genuinely never tell me what the question is going to be in advance. So Why it's, would I? Why, First right. of all, that would require me thinking about the question before I say in your advance. name. Before I say <laughs> Alex. This week's question. Who is the worst person on planet Earth who could buy your baseball team? Not named Jeff Bezos. Are you saying like morally, like this person is like objectively the worst, the the person doing the most harm? Or like from the perspective of a fan, this is the person I want owning my team least? I I guess a little bit of both, really. Like mm-hmm. it, however much you weigh that in the pie chart, to begin with, with baseball owners. <laughs> right. Which is like, they're all somewhat immoral. So that's kind of just part of the part of the equation. Yeah. Like if, if it was Bezos and he was actually going to spend on the team, then maybe you take the moral lapses. <laughs> but if it was Bezos and he was not going to spend on the team, then maybe you feel a little worse about it. Right. I mean, okay, so we gotta we gotta limit the list to to billionaires. It's gonna be a billionaire that is bankrolling this sort of thing. Um, I think it'd really suck if Michael Bloomberg like bought the A's. I don't think that would I don't think that would turn out very well for anyone involved. Yeah. Um, That's Charles, a good one. If Charles Koch bought the A's, that would I don't know. That one would be kind of fun, actually. I'm curious to see. Like, I'm not convinced, actually, that this man has ever watched a baseball game in his right. in his life. Yeah. So it'd be a, it'd be a fun new experience for all of us. I think that he would have a really tough time with the A's specifically because, like, you know, they were one of the first teams in baseball to do Pride Night. They were <laughs> they were usually <laughs> on the cutting edge of any social issue at, um, on the scale of Major League Baseball teams. I think yeah. that that might change if Charles Koch bought them. Yeah, yeah. Rupert Murdoch. I like that. Is he alive? Feel- <laughs> That's a good question. I but that, you know, somehow. Wow. Why did I think he was dead? Just just straight up wishful thinking? Yeah, I mean Roger Ailes might be maybe the the, uh, the mix up there. I think right. I have those two linked in my head for very obvious reasons. Right. Okay. That's a pretty that's a good answer. Well, you know, this is maybe, just like name your least favorite billionaires hour. Right, exactly. It, or just name billionaires hour. Yeah. I think. What about you? The obvious choice for me is Elon Musk. Can mm-hmm. you imagine like all of the, you have to share the stands with all of the Musk bros? Mm-hmm. The like weirdo fans of Elon Musk getting yeah, in the, there. The New York doges. Like, yeah. Yeah. That would not be a fun time. Zuckerberg, like. It would obviously be weird in the sense that you've seen so much of the weird online Zuckerberg content, but I feel like he would kind of take a backseat. That's he, what I was just about to he, say. I he feel would like not he would like buy publicly, it and not care. Yeah, exactly. And, and forget about it because he's too 
busy like i don't know taking down democracy in the eastern hemisphere to worry about how jed lowry is playing and whether or not they want to offer him another contract given his injury history yeah i'm curious like musk would find some way to game like the ticket system you know musk and his supporters would be like oh every elon musk fan go buy up as many mets tickets as you can right now which is going to you know artificially decrease supply which will increase the demand turn it around sell them for thrice the price yeah yeah and also like at the same time we're going to see if we can launch all of city field into orbit and play a mm-hmm. game while orbiting the earth right yeah okay hear me out right now Steve Cohen owning the Mets is like closer to Elon own Elon Musk owning the Mets than I think we we realize. He's already got the tweeting down. Okay. The just like chaotic might move the markets with a single tweet, you never yeah. know. Yeah. Also has like a weird um horde of like fanboys. Right, exactly. Including people who love the show Billions, because the main <laughs> character in Billions is kind of based on Steve Cohen. <laughs> the, you know, Wall Street mm-hmm. Titan. Right. Hedge hedge fund lord. I don't know what is his nickname actually. Does he have a nick? He has a nickname. I think like king hedge fund king or something. Like he has some nickname like that. This is wow. Hedge fund guys. We need to get some baseball fans in there to help you with your nickname game. Hedge fund king. It is hedge fund king. Holy shit! I was right. <laughs> wow. Cohen was dubbed the hedge fund king in a 2006 Wall Street Journal article. Of course, it was the fucking Wall Street Journal. They, yeah. they had it and then more, everyone they, it just was ran fun. with it it was more fun at, at at the beginning it was like the hedge fund night or something like that and, and the wall street journal was like too fun scale it down <laughs> <laughs> are there any like good billionaires that could buy your buy your team i'm you clipping know? that i'm clipping that audio are there, are there any, any good, good billionaires? billionaires i'm just gonna <laughs> <laughs> the answer is no are there any good? I mean, the, the answer might be Steve Cohen. Maybe like if you're, if just, you're the, the yeah. best possible outcome here. Just the guy who's a big fan who just has a little bit of extra money that he wants to put into a baseball team. A little bit of extra money, six billion dollars right. that he wants to put into running a baseball team successfully. I don't know. I guess Steve Cohen. Still, probably not. I want to see like what Jack Dorsey would do with a baseball team. You no, know, you don't. like no, just you don't. like no. just make the little only, little yeah, he, changes every like the uniform is slightly different every <laughs> single year, you know, or the team name just kind of changes a little bit. The, the Oakland Athletics don't really know why that made that was changed, but sure. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good answer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you have to like forage for your food. You have to like forage for a <laughs> hot dog, like as you're walking around the concourse area, you can't just buy one. You just like turn a corner with Jack, the team that Jack Dorsey owns. You turn a corner and suddenly you're in like a weird live broadcast and you don't know why. Right, exactly. <laughs> I don't think that there's a good answer to that. I don't think that there's a good billionaire. Certainly not one that you can predict is going to be good. Like a lot of people thought that Cohen was going to be good, but then there was a very there was a very large possibility that he just turned out to penny pinch like every other owner there's basically no correlation between how much money you personally have as an owner and how much you spend the correlation only comes from what the team makes and how much you spend because none of these guys want to spend their own money right they're too busy short squeezing the market to try to end GameStop. <laughs> well and also the you know i think it's 
the jury is still out on Cohen, so to speak. Like he no. he he got himself a lot of goodwill the with jury's Lindor. In. Oh yeah, we're just yeah. we're we're good. We're pro we we're pro Steve. One Actually, I'd like to announce live on the podcast that our next T-shirt rollout is going to be a picture of Steve Cohen with a crown on his head, hedge fund king. I'm yep. just going to say underneath, mm-hmm. all hedge funds are good hedge funds. You can steal bases and wages at the same time. Unionize the hedge funds. Jesus. Unionize hedge fund managers. That's what it's going to say. <laughs> We've determined that the worst person to own your baseball team is Elon Musk. I think that that we have. Do we have a quorum? Are you OK with that? I'm I'm on board with that. Okay. Yeah. If anyone else has strong feelings otherwise, please let us know. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to get to the rest of our podcast. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the upcoming CBA negotiations a little bit. Uh, a crazy conspiracy theory from my best friend, Pete Alonzo. And we're going to do three up, three down. But before we do all that, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Basley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Alex, we're approaching the All-Star break soon-ish. Approaching the midway point of the season. Right. We're, uh, we're, up, we're approaching the run-up to the All-Star break, I think. Sure, sure. <laughs> we are. I mean, we've been approaching the All Star break since Game One. Okay, don't don't give notes in real time. Come on, just <sighs> let me let me segue. <laughs> this is uh, that's like the the you know the kid who's like technically we're always dying. You know, just like the second you were born. I'm like, just, I, can... I don't know about you, but I'm always living. Uh, so too is Pete Alonso, who is always living in his own little world. Uh, he shared a a theory. We'll call it on the involvement of Major League Baseball. Well, he was asked about in a press conference about sticky substances and what his feelings were on it, given that that is the largest topic in baseball for the last two weeks, um, much to our dismay. Uh, and Pete gave his opinion on sticky substances, and he says he doesn't have a problem with it. He decided to divert the question and start talking about how Major League Baseball, instead, the bigger problem is that they micromanage the juiciness of the ball every offseason and according to pete him and many other players believe that they do this based on the upcoming free agent class so if there are more pitchers who are about to hit the market they make the ball livelier to make the pitcher stats worse and if there are more hitters who are about to hit the market they make the ball a little more dead to make the hitters stats worse i'll let pete explain it in his own words right here i don't want 99 slipping out of someone's hand because they didn't have enough feel for it. I think that the, the biggest concern is that uh, major league baseball manipulates the baseballs year in and year out, depending on the free agency class or guys being in an advanced uh, part of their arbitration. So I do think that's a big issue. Um, The ball being different every single year with other sports, the ball is the same, like basketball, football, tennis, golf, like balls, the same. So I think that that's the that's the real issue with uh, the changing of the baseballs. And maybe if they didn't, the league didn't change the baseball pitchers wouldn't need to use as much sticky stuff because uh, for now guys Alex. that feel the ball and throw the ball. Uh, but wait, first day, of all, what, what is your what was your reaction that we need more baseball conspiracy theories? I know this is not the only one that players have like yeah. and this is I, I mean, I say that kind of in jest, but also I was very struck by the fact that. He just came out and said it, you know, yeah, yeah. like I think the third you, eye you, wide open on the zoom. 
you might get stories where it's like, oh, there's talk among players off the record, et cetera, who are wondering about whether owners are colluding or not or whatever. And Pete Alonso goes on record and says, I can confirm they are. <laughs> um, I, we'll get to this a little bit later, but I think it's more than anything else. I think it's indicative of just the sheer lack of trust between players yeah. and ownership right now like it just lays it all out on the table a lot of people made jokes about how just kind of ridiculous uh and harebrained this theory seems given that mlb has shown a sort of bumbling attitude towards the baseball like they they either have not known what's going on with it or have pretended to not know what's going on with it for the last five years and it would be a level of sophistication and ability to control the ball that we don't have sufficient evidence that they have this sophistication. Um, but I do want to add in the caveat that like, it's not like Pete Alonso didn't think about this before he said it. It's not, he claimed that him and other players have this theory enough to where he could divert a question about foreign substances, which he probably has a very easy PR tested answer that the Mets have told him to give every time he gets asked about this. He diverted it to a completely different thing. So there's something there. And maybe it is what you're saying. It's a lack of trust. I think that it's not worth dismissing out of hand, which says a lot about how owners have operated in baseball, basically time immemorial. This this is the type of thing that they would do if they had the ability to do it, you know, and they've proven that they would do it because they hand out a, a belt for salary arbitration, whoever keeps it the lowest. They colluded in the 80s to keep salaries down and they admitted to it and had to pay the players back. And, and you know, there's a reason that in the CBA it says they're not allowed to collude. There's a specific lie that says they're not allowed to collude even though it would be illegal anyway. I just think that basically any time the worker side accuses the management side of doing something, it's worth considering that they might be doing that thing. Because it's a hard line to draw if you start trying to guess which are true and which are not true because like I'll take it out of baseball for a hot sec like if you heard some of the stuff that Amazon makes their workers do you'd be like that's too crazy to be true but it's true so you kind of just have to believe what the workers are telling you if they really believe it too and then you you if something comes out that proves you were wrong then fine but I'm not in the business of telling Pete Alonso that he's wrong about this because I'll basically believe anything that a player accuses a team of doing at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I think that when it, in these situations, obviously everything has to be taken with a grain of salt, but, but so much of the, the leverage and the, the narrative around the state of labor in baseball is driven by ownership, is driven by MLB, the, the corporation. And it seems like this year in particular, we are getting more and more players who are willing to come out on record and say, no, there's something fishy going on, whether it's with the balls, whether it's with, you know, service time manipulation and, and luxury cap issues. Very convenient that every team just comes up on $212 million and then stops for, right, their, for yeah. their top tier payrolls other than the <laughs> Dodgers. But yeah, it's very convenient. They've all somehow snuck under the luxury tax. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Which is, a, it's a tax, not a cap, Bobby. It's not a luxury cap. Right. Even though they're competing over the same players and suddenly these Dude, players, is... they can't get a larger offer from 
the Yankees than they can get from the Red Sox. Yeah. I'm, how that works. I'm, I'm curious kind of how, you know, this is pure speculation, but I'm curious how the MLBPA took Pete's comments. Yeah. Because I can't think that they loved one of the game stars going out and accusing the other side of blatant illegality, m- illegality, manipulation. Yeah. Right. Um, but again, this is just the latest domino in a long line of little animosities here and there that are, you know, really building up towards something much, much greater. I think your, your point about kind of major league baseball's ability to actually pull something like this off is well taken because I think you're right that we've shown that even when they think they know what the ball is doing, they clearly have no idea, right? Like they came into the season and the ball was doing shit that they just didn't know baseballs could do. Right. But it's very, it's very possible for them to just have been playing dumb. Like, I mean, I know that my tinfoil hat is getting tighter and tighter on my head. Like the longer that we talk about Pete's comments, but Mm -hmm. it would be pretty easy for them to play dumb about this. Right. Like they would play dumb about, colluding over salaries too they did that as well and yeah it's not like rob manfred lacks the ability to get in front of the public and look like a dummy <laughs> that's like his whole thing yeah i'd be very impressed if this was you know if they had the wool pulled over our eyes on on this thing i mean it you know they did acquire rawlings not too long ago it was a very convenient timing uh, uh on that I think the other hangup is like, what does that production, that chain of production look like? And does MLB really, like, are they that good at divining who is going to hit the market next season? Who is going to be signing long-term contracts and who isn't? Like, that's there's a level of kind of prediction there. So it's possible they do it understanding there are plenty of variables in, in play that they can't control. I think all signs are pointing to the fact that they have just no idea how to do anything right. And But the desired effect is still the same, though, right? Because even if they are not doing it intentionally, if the ball is dead when a bunch of hitters are hitting the market, then, yeah. The yeah, sal- they, like, they did their job. They did their job. it was on purpose or not. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to talk about another sort of, not even conspiracy, but another interpretation, another reading of the foreign substances thing that was going around Twitter this past week, where every week that passes, this just be... this the heat on this conversation just gets turned up another degree, another degree, another degree. And I saw a lot of people talking about how it's very convenient that in the season, right before they have to renegotiate a CBA and we're gearing up for war Mm -hmm. in the labor battle, it's very convenient that MLB is suddenly deciding that they want to crack down on an issue that will divide the league directly in half between pitchers and hitters. And that is, sort of the overstepping of the crossing a line on this foreign substances on the use of foreign substances to get a better grip on the ball, increase your spin rate. Now we talked a ton about this last week. We talked about it two weeks ago. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, every baseball podcast that you've listened to in the last week has discussed this exact topic because it's unavoidable at the moment. But I, I wanted to, what do you make of that? Cause I wanted to talk about this from a labor perspective because you know, like I said, like it's not I wouldn't put it past MLB to do something like this. Now, maybe it wouldn't be the prime motivation for them to start to crack down on this rule. Maybe the prime motivation is really that it's gotten out of control and the and the version of baseball that we're watching is 
becoming less watchable by the day because pitchers are just getting so much better than hitters. But, you know, I don't think that they are mad about the fact that they're splitting up the players union right as they're about to head into a very tense negotiation. So what do you make what do you make of that theory? I think uh, I think that definitely was a part of their calculation. Honestly, I'm I'm more on board with that at the very least than them manipulating the balls on a season to season basis in order to depress free agent salaries. I they really have had to as as we know Major League Baseball really hasn't done very much with sticky substances, right? Whether it's enforcing them or or even really commenting on them very much, right? There was the there was a memo at the at the beginning of the season that talked about um, them cracking down on it. Obviously, things have kind of leaked out over the last couple months. Conveniently, uh, conveniently, right about how MLB is going to crack down on it. But other than that, they've been largely silent, leaving the workers to hash it out between themselves, right? When very easily, if, if Major League Baseball really wanted to, it was like, oh, this is an issue that's really dividing players and is impa- impacting the integrity of the game. We should do something about this now. Yeah, maybe it's just the fact that they're incredibly incompetent and have no idea how to handle this sort of thing. But I, I have trouble believing that they're just throwing their hands up at this at this whole situation, you know? Yeah. I mean, the stated position is always going to be figured out amongst yourselves unless you force us to, like, figure out a problem in the workplace, right? Like, no, MLB doesn't want to have to deal with any problems. That's, like, the whole genesis of this podcast is that MLB never deals with problems. Um, but I, I, the, other, the other thing that I'll say about this is that this doesn't have to be an interunion squabble. Just because players can disagree about something, just because Josh Donaldson criticizes Garrett Cole, doesn't mean that they're not going to stick together at the at the table. So, I mean, while I I see that interpretation, and I can see validity in the assumption of malice on MLB's part. I don't think that like every argument amongst players has to be like, well, the union is split. 50, True. 50. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing. They're not going to try to renegotiate the st- sticky substance rule at the table. So when once it comes to negotiations, like, I don't think that Josh Donaldson would be like, no, we should we should keep six years of team control because I'm mad at Garrett Cole. Like that. It's just in practice. What does that actually mean that they're that the union is disagreeing on something midseason? There's, they're not disagreeing on a labor issue necessarily, unless you bring it back to Pete's comments and you start to think that the whole ball sticky foreign substances situation is really MLB's large grand scheme to try to pull one over on the players ahead of labor negotiations, which I, again, like I said, I don't really see the play there. Right. I mean, I think ultimately if you have players at each other's throats, even if it's not over a direct labor issue, if you were able to kind of throw out this, distraction honestly amidst what are already going to be really fraught negotiations at the at the bargaining table then i think that's a win if your enemy is in disarray coming to the table that's a huge thing whether it is about the actual process or not right um and i think that that's something that major league baseball is 
gaining a, a decent amount of power in and they have over the last few years they've kind of been it's no secret that the union has been kind of weakened in recent decades no shade to tony clark but little 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 shade to tony clark there <laughs> um and that's you know that's the best case scenario for for the owners is for the the players to be weakened and squabbling with themselves because right are they going to be negotiating directly over foreign substances maybe not but i don't know i think that's that's the whole tactic of like management is always right like get the workers to fight between themselves as opposed to focusing on the common enemy yeah right but again though unless josh donaldson like i think that josh donaldson is just mad that he feels like they've gained an unfair competitive advantage like literally on the field i don't think that he's mad that garrett cole got a $328 million contract. Like, right. there's nothing oh, that yeah. he said, there's nothing that any hitter said, and I don't want to read that far into it to think that this is going to become a labor wedge issue that man, that that MLB side has now won on. So I don't want to make something out of nothing, but I do think the fact that, whether it's intentional or not on MLB's side, I'm sure they're happy about any undesired consequence that has people taking up brain space, taking up emotional energy, taking up airspace, as we're leading into these discussions, talking about anything that is not MLB is making record profits and keeping more of it than they ever have. Like the more things that they can, the more, like you said, distractions, the more flares that they can set off in the distance, no matter whether it means that they win something at the table or not, I think in a, in a grander sense means that we're focusing less of our energy. We being you and me, or we being, fans who care about the labor struggles between the two sides or the union itself, we're focusing more of our energy on shit that is not get more money from the owners. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and it sways public opinion too, right? Because all of a sudden you have members of the public who are like, wow, these stars are cheating. Maybe I don't throw my full weight behind them, you know, as a, as a fan kind of atomizing that uh that whole relationship i think is ultimately harmful to the idea that the players aren't actually in in control here right it's a, yeah. whether it's a it may not be a labor distraction but it's a distraction from the fact that <laughs> major league baseball is dragging their feet on dealing with this issue yeah it's a risky play though because like what if that backs what if that blows up in their face and fans are like rightfully are like well mlb's it was mlb's responsibility to figure this out so why are we blaming the players now i just think that mlb has like you know 50 years of evidence that fans will take any opportunity to blame the spoiled rich players that they possibly can and i think that mlb is like that is a core emotion that fans feel like we were able to effectively translate the steroid era into blaming it on the players and winning one over at the table against them and we ba we ba we blamed the 1994 strike entirely on the players also even though you know the strike led to a lot of wins for the union you know i so i just think that like it's not new behavior from mlb's side i've just as we lead you know as we get to the halfway point of this season and we're sort of approaching when this is going to become the biggest story in baseball I want to make sure that you and I are tracking it in real time since this is kind of like what we do here, like what we talk about.
Yeah. Well, should we dive into that a little more then? I kind of want to, I want to zoom out a little bit and discuss kind of what we, what we've learned about the upcoming CBA negotiations as we kind of, you know, move towards the midpoint of the season. Um, Obviously, both parties are very tight-lipped about this, but I think there are there's some really obvious areas that are going to be on the table in the lead-up to December 1st that I think are probably worth exploring a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I No, I agree. Which, which, which areas do you want to start with? Well, let's, let's start with what we know, right? I, we, we knew coming into this season there was going to be a long, protracted, ugly battle that was, that was coming ahead. Um, and that was forecasted by the the strife that the the union had with the owners in like January, February, right? About whether to delay the season, whether to start it on time. There was lots of stonewalling and accusations that the other was trying, one was trying to undercut the other, um, et cetera. So like <laughs> we started out on a, on a bad foot. Um, yeah. And then just last month, the union filed a grievance with Major League Baseball for $500 million over the, the, the lost salaries from last year's pandemic-shortened season, right? And they're, they're arguing that the, the league is operating in bad faith and that they could have had a longer season. That, as, you, as you remember, the, the slogan, when and where, right? We're ready to go. We can play right now. Oh, um, God. And, oh, and that's, that, that's putting me back in such a specific I know, place. R- yeah, right. I remember where I was sitting, what I was wearing. It was the same thing I'd worn for seven days straight. <laughs> but but I think that's an interesting um, jumping off point. A, because it's a real, it's an interesting strategy to kind of put MLB on the defensive, even if it doesn't work out. Yeah. And it's also worth pointing out that I think a lot of that money would still go to the, the upper tier of earners in major league baseball. Right. I don't think that a lot of this money are for the, the players who are on minimum minimum league, minimum salaries. So I'm curious if there's anything that has changed for you in the last three or four months, seeing this kind of unfold that has changed your perspective on how this off season might go. Yeah. It's hard to say um, because both sides have been relatively quiet. Like you want to let the first 80 games of the season kind of play out and not make the story about anything other than what's going on on the field. I'm sure the players are not psyched to be talking about anything other than baseball, especially since they had to spend so much time in the pandemic shortened season talking about why they weren't playing baseball. Um, So it's hard to say definitively, you know, the lawsuit, I think is a is a an effort to put themselves in the strongest negotiating position in sticking to what they were saying at the time. Like they're they're playing out the logical conclusion of what their argument all along was, which is that we should play as many games as possible so that we can get paid for as many games as possible and so that you guys can get paid for as many TV as much as much of the TV contract as you can and as much of the gate receipts as you can possibly get if at the time if they were ever to, able to bring fans back during last season all of that and that was ML, that was the MLBPA's position and that clearly was not the owner's position they were not interested in, in putting on a full season last year they never were and they never tried so if they didn't put on a good faith negotiation 
to try to play as many games as possible, then it is the union's responsibility to file that grievance and see what comes of it. Because maybe you withdraw it in the future in exchange for something else at the bargaining table. Like that's very possible to do in like a over the course of these negotiations. Like I'll, I'll, everything is on the table. So I think that that is a pretty savvy negotiating move, even if nothing comes from it. I think for me, you know, there was so much talk before the season of expanded playoffs. And I'm just really at a loss with that one because we got to the point in going back and forth where it seems like owners are not going to accept anything other than expanded playoffs. Like we've basically, they've basically put that one on the table and they're like, that's not getting taken off because they instituted it and the players agreed to it in the pandemic shortened season to try to recoup some of those expected revenue, some of that expected revenue. And they wanted to institute it this year. And the players said no, because they were like, we gave you this last year and it was much more of a boon for you financially than it was for us. And in the future, it's going to be much more of a boon for you financially than it is for us. So we're not giving it to you again for free, basically. And now I'm watching this season and we're back to a full 162 game season. Everything's starting to get back to normal. And I'm like, expanded playoffs is even more egregious than it ever was. And I'm just trying to see this from a fan's perspective, how this is good for anybody. It's not good for me because it dilutes the product of the regular season and it makes the playoffs weirdly less important for each individual series. So it's not good as just a watcher. It's not good as someone who gives a shit about the state of labor in the game either because owners are going to get more of those playoff revenue profits than players are anyway. And I'm just trying to think of a way in which we go through next offseason's negotiations and don't get expanded playoffs. No, I think we absolutely will. And it's especially interesting because the the union is also grappling with competitive integrity, right? And how to actually get teams to compete year in and year out, month in and month out, which expanded playoffs in a sense kind of flies in the face of, right? By lowering the bar of what success actually means over the course of the season. Um, You have to think that their their play with that is, this is going to make you more money. And what we want to do is redirect some of that towards players, likely younger players, right? By bumping up the the league minimum salary i think that'll that'll probably be on the table shortening how long it takes to get to arbitration um or 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 just how long it takes to reach free agency in general right by saying hey look we're gonna give you this chip that from a like structure of the game perspective maybe doesn't make a ton of sense but is like you said is going to be an absolute boon to the game so let's put that money in places where we feel like it's not going i mean obviously they will want to want to grab more of the of the revenue split between players and owners which hovers around 50% right now give or take a couple percentage points but overall i think we'll try and direct that towards their the the lower to middle class of baseball players, so to speak, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you said something interesting in there where you were like, players are interested in solving MLB's competitiveness problem because it doesn't suit them for teams to be non-competitive. Players don't want to play on teams that are non-competitive, and the more teams that are not trying to make the playoffs, 
the lower the salaries are going to be because teams are not competing over paying good players to get better. And that is sort of like the owner side trump card where they can just pretend like they're rebuilding in perpetuity or retooling in perpetuity. And there's no way for the players to prove that they're doing that with the express purpose of colluding to keep salaries low, even though you and I feel confident saying that that's what they're doing. And a lot of other people feel confident saying that's what they're doing, but it goes back to what you said, what you said when we were talking about the foreign substances or when we were talking about the ball, it's fallen on the player side to fix problems in the workplace that the owners should be fixing. If you don't like that, your team isn't competitive. Whose fault is that? It's the owners refusing to sign good players for what they're worth. You know, it's the A's getting cheap and not keeping Marcus Simeon around. So now Alex, you're watching and no shade on him, but Elvis Andrews well post the prime of his career while Marcus Simeon is having a great season in Toronto because the A's just didn't want to pony up to cash for him. And I just think that, you know, as we approach the off season, one of the biggest things that stands out to me in, in knowing that we're going to be talking about this so much is that I want to be wary and I want to be mindful of the fact that like, if there's a problem in the workplace, most of the time it should be solved by the management side because that's literally what it's in the tile right there. They're managing things. You know, they are making the decisions to make things better or worse to solve problems. And the more that the players and I think that they're realizing this, the more that the players try to solve problems in the public and win PR battles in the public through labor negotiations, the more they're setting themselves up for failure, the more they're setting themselves up, up to be scapegoated as like, you know, rich guys complaining about not getting richer, basically. Yeah. Well, I, it's tough, right? Because you and I look at it and are like, lack of competitiveness is not great for the sport, right? It's the death of the sport. But I don't imagine that'll I okay, sure, yes. However, however you want to put it. But I also don't think that owners see it that way, right? Yes, of course, managers should be the one to fix the quote unquote problems in the workplace. But they're happy lining their pockets, right? And we know that they have they are less interested about the the long term survival of the sport, right? Of the integrity of the sport and more interested, interested in kind of those short-term gains. Yeah. Uh, but being less interested in the long-term integrity and survival of the sport is how you get Jake Paul versus Floyd Mayweather. Like we're on that path, man. We're on yeah, that arc. Which, oh God, I cannot, I came so close to like a, also it was Logan Paul. Well, okay, no I guess, way. How sure are you? <laughs> uh, no, I actually am sure about this one. <laughs> Damn it. Jake, I keep mixing that up. I know. Yeah. You know what I will say? Oh, God, I can't believe I'm, I'm about to say this. But Logan Paul came out after the match, or maybe it was before the match, and was like, look, like we're out here having fun. My goal with all of this is to get fighters as much money as possible because the the people who own this league are making millions and millions of dollars while people you know go out there and put their life on the line and you know potentially oh are exposed God. to injuries etc people like, tipping pitches? like name dropped Dana White and i was like my god Logan Paul labor icon yeah wow holy are, shit <laughs> let's go 
No, but you know what I mean, though? Like, that's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. Uh, and yes, I, yeah, I, no, I know. Yeah. I value that he is trying to put the money from the gimmick in the right place, I guess. If you can even say that Floyd Mayweather's bank account needs it. <laughs> it's the right the place. Richest guy on earth, and he's like a piece man, of shit. Man came out and said it was legalized bank robbery, which, if we're being honest, if you paid $50 for that, I'm so sorry for you. Legalized bank robbery. Um, But I don't, in, in 50 years, I don't want to watch, like, some famous YouTuber pitching to Mike Trout to see Dylan if they Paul can strike him out. Mike Trout. <laughs> I don't want that. So no, thank you. Um, I'd like the people who are ostensibly in charge of making sure that the league is run well and sustainable for the future actually take some responsibility with that task. Yes. But, you yeah. know, if that's not going to happen, like what what can the players even do though because at the end of the day if mlb wants to run its league into the ground that's their right alex that's their right in the united states free market it is the free market you can run your company into the ground if you so choose and if it never blows up in your face good for you you might just become amazon but there's no way that the players can fix that if the owners are like we're gonna lock you out until you give us expanded playoffs sorry this is our issue this is what we want more than anything in the world then the players can't compel them because they, they're not going to be compelled by the players because the players also need other stuff too. And they're not going to be compelled by the fans because they just don't give a shit about us. So yeah. that's what I, that's why I'm saying like, I want to be mindful of how we discuss issues that like can't be solved with labor negotiation. They can't be right. solved by the players unless the players are really willing to hold out forever and strike forever. If they don't want to give up expanded playoffs, or if they don't want to have expanded playoffs, and I just don't think that fans would want that either. I don't want death of MLB because they wanted expanded playoffs. While I hate the idea of expanded playoffs, I'd still rather watch baseball than <laughs> not have it at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fair. Fair. I think, I think most people would agree with you on that one. And I, and I hope that like, the players know that they are in... I, I, I don't think we can say they have the upper hand, but like... Again, that is a huge piece of leverage that they have that they can use to actually rectify some of the economic losses that they've taken over the last um, decade as a result, largely as a result of poor negotiation of previous collective bargaining agreements that were more angled towards like getting players better clubhouse food. (laughs) And more space on flights. Like I'm like that is oh, genuinely what they were negotiating over, right? Um, so yeah, maybe it's like, hey, maybe we should address service time manipulation this offseason. Yes, maybe we should. Perhaps we should. I think that I, I want to quibble a little bit with what you said. Players do have the upper hand. The labor side always has the upper hand if they can figure out how to use it. And that's true. If they get in line and do it, which it seems like a lot of people are on board to do, given the collective unified front they showed during the pandemic shortened season and taking whatever flack they were taking from people who were like, I hate how both sides are handling this. They stuck it out through that. So I'm hoping that they can stick it out and get a good deal heading into the offseason. Anything else you want to speculate on in the CBA coming up? You know what we should do? We should do a close reading of the CBA and we should do an annotated text for all the places that we want to change it. Absolutely. I'll do that. I'll make that my project over the next couple months. (laughs) I got a couple flights. 
We'll put it on a t-shirt for all you folks. Like the, how the Constitution, people wear a t-shirt with the Constitution <laughs> on the back or, or like the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Little like mask gators that just have the MOBCBA on there. Yeah. Uh, um, the, the last thing actually I want to um, briefly touch on because it's really the only concrete thing we know that it's, that will likely transpire this offseason is and it directly relates to competitive integrity, and that's draft picks. Um, It seems increasingly likely that trading draft picks is going to be introduced um, this offseason. I'm curious your, which which is the kind of thing that does allow teams to get better, get worse, actually change their fortunes. Um, Yeah. Not overnight, but like there's more there's more power there so i'm curious your your take on that if you think that that's if this is long overdue for the league i mean i kind of feel like it probably is i think it's a no-brainer i don't know why it's like, it's like the only league that you can't trade draft picks in it's mm-hmm. and you're right it, it gives more teams the opportunity to say well if you're not going to step up here i'll step up here Mm-hmm. It's like kind of like how the Padres have operated in free agency and in trades in the last, you know, three or four years, and we've commended them many times for doing that. Um, if you're not going to sign Eric Hosmer, we'll sign him. If you're not going to sign Manny Machado, we'll sign him. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to extend your young superstar and you're going to let him get traded to the Mets in the final year of his arbitration. We'll extend our young superstar shortstop so that he can't get traded to the Yankees in his final year of arbitration, you know, and if you can, you can kind of see the logical endpoint of being able to trade draft picks. Well, if you're going to tank your way to the bottom and then also accept us dangling this carrot in front of you of, you know, a future pick and cash because you just want this $500,000 in your pocket right now, then great. We'll take the top picks. I think that that, that is a way that it could, you know, separate the teams who want to compete from the teams who don't want to compete and allow more opportunities for teams like the Padres to step up. But then again, by that same token, that could just allow teams who are at the top of the draft, who should be taking the good players and trying to get better in the future could just allow them to pun on doing that and be bad forever. So I, I don't know what will come of it. I guess history would lead you to believe that the pirates will just trade all their picks and, and be bad. Oh, what a sport this is that we, we enjoy. We decide to tune into every week. You know, what is going to be in the CBA, um, a, a force majeure clause, you know, the, the clause that says, Hey, if a global pandemic happens, Here's how we're going to handle this. Here's how we're going to set up responsibilities. Insane to me that they were the only major league that like didn't have this in their Wait, did they con- not? Contract. No. Oh wow, I don't think I knew that. <laughs> I think I just thought that they didn't, you know, trigger the force majeure clause because they were afraid of how it would look to rip up a CBA because of a pandemic that was killing hundreds of thousands of people at the time. Well, yeah, they were afraid that wouldn't have looked great. (laughs) They got a solid PR outfit over there at at, on Fifth Avenue, but I don't know if they could have endured that one. Not the NBA didn't try that one either. Um, Okay, fine. They'll they'll put in a force majeure contract then. Yeah, clause I should say they'll put in a force majeure clause. Uh, Okay, Alex, let's take a quick break and then do three up, three down when we come back.
want to start with down this week. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah. Are you all right? Yeah. I just want to end on an up. I love that for us. Thank you. Um, my first down this week, it's not even really that big of a down. It's more of like a, I had a FOMO moment where I saw that the Buffalo Bisons were playing the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. And the Buffalo Bisons are currently playing their home games at in Trenton, at the Trenton Thunder, um, because Trenton doesn't have a current minor league team right now. But Buffalo is playing their home games there. And I saw that the pitching matchup for this was going to be Nate Pearson versus Debbie Garcia. And I just really wanted to be there, Alex. I wanted to be there in the worst way. Haven't been to a minor league baseball game yet this year. Haven't been to Trenton Thunder in a few years. And I saw this this matchup and I was like, damn, it made me sad. That's my first down this week. I miss minor league baseball so much. Yeah. You like, have no, in you can cr- go. Go see the Cyclones. Go see Mets top catching prospect Francisco Alvarez. All right. I'll come back with a scouting report. I'll you, do it. Yeah. Raw power, 60. S- 60. Game power, 50. Mm, he's got to mm-hmm. work on it a little bit. He's got to work on that a little bit. Exactly what I was thinking. Can't, does he have trouble with the curve? Let us know. Okay. First down for me this week. Uh, <laughs> service time manipulation discussions. Oh, my Hell God. yeah. I have this one, too. Going to bring it back. Okay. Yeah. yeah All right. Uh, no, I have this one, too. With Kelnick? Jared, Jared Kelnick yeah. uh, was, was demoted by the Seattle Mariners this past week uh, because he's been really bad at uh, playing baseball at the major league level. He was in the midst of like an 0 for 30-something uh, 39 skid there you go 39 not that you're who's counting right this Mets fan over here um, <laughs> that's not why that's not why I knew <laughs> I, I want the um, best for Jared Kelnick I know I so does he honestly I the fact that this man's has a clothing line uh, already that's just like you know you can walk around with a shirt that says JK on it like okay um, anyway there were some people Including members of the media. It's always these members of the media. Members the of the members media. Members of the media. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who said, well, look at that. Clearly, they were not manipulating his service time because, look, he wasn't ready for the major leagues. So they had good reason to, to keep him down. Bobby, I don't know if you remember this, but in the offseason, um, a member of the Seattle Mariners brass admitted on record that they were going to try and manipulate Jared Kelnick's service time. Yes, I recall um, the Bellevue Breakfast Rotary Club. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Let's put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Sponsor the pod, please. Um, <laughs> just because the Mariners are are bad at evaluating when a player is ready or not, or because a said player doesn't perform at the expected level that they were going to, does not mean that teams did not try to manipulate his service time. I I don't know. I I really didn't enjoy like having to wade through this conversation, yeah. right? Like even if service time manipulation, even if he doesn't come up and be Vladimir Guerrero, it doesn't make it any less egregious. No, because you don't know what he's going to do when he comes up. And if your assessment actually. There was a really good conversation about this on Five and Dive by Craig Goldstein with between Craig Goldstein and Bradford William Davis, um, both former guests of this podcast. And 
they basically hit the nail on the head. If the Mariners' assessment was that he was ready at the end of last season, their internal assessment was that. You know how we know that? Because Kevin Mather fucking said so. He said that. So Mm -hmm. if the process was service time, if the process was designed to manipulate his service time, it doesn't matter what he did when he came up because they thought he was ready. And if you think someone's ready, you should call them up. That's the... That's the social contract of baseball. You're ready, you come up. The thing for me, now that we have sort of the foundation of this conversation laid, the thing for me that was disappointing was to see how many people were parroting that take that it wasn't service time manipulation. It just shows a base level of intelligence that's not being reached about how all of this shit works. And that, when I see it, when I see the Kelnick discourse flaring up all over the place, all over Twitter, all over podcasts, whatever, just reinforces to me that we're just going to have to have this conversation forever in perpetuity with every big prospect always because there is enough, there is a, a threshold of people who are stupid enough to not realize what the Mariners were doing because he had a slump when he came up. And that just means that we're never going to escape this conversation. And maybe that's a little too existential for me to say this early in the podcast, but it's true. We're just never going to get away from this. The upcoming CBA should include a clause that um, we can't talk about baseball on on Twitter anymore. Yeah, uh, or at least idea. maybe journalists, right? You know. Yeah, we're not. I think that would, we're famously I, I not journalists. Famously not journalists. You know, I think th- I think that would go over well. That was one of my downs as well. So you you go again. So Let's go again. It's back, back to, to you. Me again. Back to you. Just quick pass. We'll pepper it right back to you. Okay, let's uh, let's talk vaccines then. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to play the hits this episode. You know, we had a long protracted conversation about the CBA and labor battles, and my three up three down is like just you know, COVID nineteen and service time manipulation and fucking hit my pitch. It like I don't like I don't really know what to tell you guys. This is what you signed up for. Yeah, um, Anthony Rizzo, who I do love historically have at the very least uh went on a radio show this past week and said that he ultimately decided uh he ultimately decided that he uh he would not be getting the COVID-19 vaccine um that he had had some long discussions with his doctors and uh and it was a really tough choice for him and he but ultimately you know he decided against it and I am curious to know what the the things were that he was weighing on either side. And again, people rightfully pointed out on Twitter that he's a man with past health issues. He had he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and underwent treatment and is, by all accounts, um, free of that. And people said, you know, it's very possible that. Uh, that has something to do with his diagnosis that his oncologist, like, you know, maybe, maybe said there were higher risks of vaccines. Um, but I also think that um, if you're immunocompromised, you also probably have a higher risk from the COVID-19 virus. Uh, I don't, I could be wrong on that, but. While trying to remain as sensitive as possible to Anthony Rizzo's right to discuss with his doctors, given his past medical history, no, I, we're anti we're I anti HIPAA here. Yes, I I just get frustrated at the lack of clarity with which these people get out there and talk about these things. With which baseball people get out there and talk about these things because I'll 
make the lens a little wider and talk about my frustration with the Mets all year, talking about how it's a personal choice to get the vaccine and a lot of guys saying that they're not going to get it, or at least a lot of guys not saying that they did get it on the Mets this year. And that's just become this wave, this trend of baseball players saying it's a personal choice and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, like, if you believe that, then say some of the things that you're weighing. And that's what mm-hmm. I think was frustrating about the Rizzo situation. Can you, it's like, can you just say a little bit more about why, what those, con- what those conversations consisted of without like having to turn over your entire, entire medical history and call your doctor into the Zoom or the radio station or whatever? Because it just raised a lot of confusion. And for people who are on the fence about this, confusion is the type of thing that causes people not to get vaccines. So, like, I would love for people to be a little bit more discerning in what they say about vaccines publicly when they have massive public platforms like baseball players do. Yes, I agree. And especially when there is a campaign throughout the league to get teams to certain thresholds of, of vaccination so that they can loosen restrictions. I, again, I don't, I don't think that every player has a responsibility to have a strong opinion on everything. You and I were just talking about that before this podcast started rolling, that sometimes you, uh, you, you aren't informed enough to make a uh, coherent public thought on it. But Anthony Rizzo is one of the, one of the game's bigger stars and does a lot of uh, charity work for, for kids with cancer and, like by all accounts is seen as a being a very good upstanding member of the of the Chicago Cubs community. And so I think there is a little bit of having to reckon with your your platform and uh and be cautious about <laughs> what you just go out there just saying on an ESPN radio show where you're certain to receive zero pushback. <laughs> Uh, I'm just going to not touch that one and move on. Uh, My third down this week is uh, we lost a baseball legend this past week. Mudcat Grant, Jim Mudcat Grant died on Friday. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if this name has ever come up on this podcast. It might've come up briefly in discussing the black aces. Uh, We haven't spent a ton of time talking about the concept of the black aces, but Mudcat Grant was the first black pitcher to win 20 games in a season in the American League uh, and in a book that he wrote later in his life after he was long retired um, he chronicled the story of every black starting pitcher who won 20 games and he dubbed those people the black aces uh, and there's only 15 of them 15 guys that's it 15 including a recently retired player CC Sabathia and a current player David Price so at the point that Mudcat Grant dubbed this phenomenon the Black Aces, because there were so few of them, um, there were only 13 of them. And he wanted to bring attention to the fact that when the game was integrated, uh, a lot of guys who were pitchers in the Negro Leagues were brought over and were told, you can't pitch anymore because of blatant racism. Like They don't want the hero of the game, which a lot of people think that the pitcher is, to be a black person. Like if we're going to integrate this game, we want black players to be as on the sidelines as humanly possible. Famously, Jackie Robinson didn't be, even play very much when he originally came over, even though he was the Dodgers best player by far. And he wasn't even the best player in the Negro leagues. So, 
you know, I wanted to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about Mudcat Grant and and his life and um, his lasting impact on the baseball community because in producing R2C2 over the last year, the amount of times that CC has brought up the Black Aces and how much pride he took in becoming number 14 and getting them sending him a jersey with number 14 on the back and it saying Black Aces on the front. It's just such a it's such a rare thing in the game and the lasting legacy of Jim Grant to draw attention to this and the incredible racial political undertones that go into a baseball clubhouse and go into shaping the current game, even that we witness today. Um, I think that it's just like a, a Titanic, you know, life and career and achievement to be the person who codifies that, that phenomenon of the black aces. And, you know, it's just incredibly sad that we lost him at just 85 because, you know, we've talked about on this podcast, how hard it is to discuss baseball legends who we weren't around to see and everything. But I do think that it's important for us to sort of acknowledge all of the people that shaped the version of the game that we have today. Yeah. Well put. I, I couldn't have said it better. And I, I, I really, you have to admire the the work that he really did. He put in to memorialize and promote the, the, the history of, black baseball players which is not necessarily something that he should have had to do at all right this is the kind of thing that when we talk with reverence about baseball's history like should be carried by baseball's historians by the by the league itself by the by the fans in the way that the game is marketed right but grant seeing the the vacuum right that that was kind of left in this storytelling took it upon himself to sit down and draw out this history for people, which yeah. like you said, is just an incredibly lasting impact. And I think we probably owe a lot more to the, the history of the storytelling of the game to him than we, than we really realize. Yeah. And it, it just makes a richer game. It makes a richer past and it makes a richer present. And I hope that it continues to make a richer future for the up and coming guys who have a chance to be the next black ace, to be number 16. Because, I, you know, CC has said on the podcast, no matter what I've accomplished in my career, the biggest accomplishment for me was becoming a 20-game winner and a black ace. Like, this is a guy that struck out 3,000 people in his career. This is a guy who's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And he cares more about being number 14 in the black aces. So I would direct anybody who wants to hear more discussion of the black aces, of the Negro Leagues, to uh, Sirius XM and, and the New York League's Baseball Museum uh, partnered to make a podcast called Black Diamonds uh, that is hosted by the New York League's Museum president, Bob Kendrick, uh, who's an absolute superstar. So don't take it from us. Take it from the best storyteller that the best living storyteller that baseball has, Bob Kendrick. Okay, Alex, are we up to your third down? We are. And this one is kind of cheating uh, a little bit because i i had to i had to bump it off of my my ups this week because there were I, there were a few different things i was choosing from and so i'm bumping it to down only because it's the end of of this of this chapter of this story 
listeners will know we've been chronicling the the conservative outcry against the moving of the all-star game and uh and we discussed just last week the lawsuit filed by the job creators network against major league baseball uh seeking an injunction um hoping to who move the all-star game back to cobb county where it rightfully belongs so that Major League Baseball wasn't infringing on I think I read I that civil rights or something no, like I th- that. I think I read that in the Bible actually that the MLB All Star Game has to be in Cobb County, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Was it? I think that was in the New Testament. Yeah, well, it's especially interesting because the Job Creators Network was um, was really interested in how it impacted Atlanta business owners, which ironically is not where the Braves play. Job Creators Network sounds like something that's putting on a career fair at NYU. Mm-hmm. It's just like yeah. three venture capitalists and you have to pay $50 to get in. Right. They have a Twitter account that has like 41 followers and they haven't tweeted since 2018. Or conversely, they have a Twitter account that has like 100,000 followers and they were all paid for and each tweet gets like three likes. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on, on how you look at it, uh... <laughs> A judge ruled against uh, these our good patriot f- freedom fighters um, this past week, and uh, you know it's the end of an era. It really is. Uh, I I want to read briefly from the wonderful Craig Calcaterra's cup of coffee newsletter, which which outlined the the, the crashing and ensuing burning of their their lawsuit in in great detail. Um, Craig writes. I think my favorite part, though, came when, near the end, and he probably knew he was going to lose, the plaintiff's attorney suggested that Major League Baseball could remedy the harm it allegedly caused by moving the All-Star game by setting up a $100 million relief fund for harmed businesses. Yeah, and you're you're a reasonable person at home. $100 million. Throw $100 million at the problem. That's what businesses do all the time. Right, exactly. Well, if you're not going to fix the harm that this has caused, at least maybe monetary um, uh, restitution will will do. Craig goes on to note, um, there are some issues with this. One, the, the plaintiff was seeking an injunction, uh, which is an order seeking an immediate legal remedy, which was moving the game back to Cobb County. Two, an essential requirement for an injunction is that the plaintiff, if the plaintiff doesn't get it, they will suffer irreparable harm. And three, the legal definition of irreparable harm encompasses the notion that it is harm that cannot be remedied by a later payment of money. <laughs> that is the irreparable part. Which means that by telling the court that, hey, maybe MLB could just pay out some money at a later date and everything would all be fine, that is an admission that there really isn't any irreparable harm here. Yeah. But, I mean, it was a good PR coup because now you and I both know who the Job Creators Network are That's as true. well as everyone who listens to this podcast. That's a good point. I'm just wondering if Craig has taken into account the fact that the, the fans of Atlanta are hurting, Alex. The fans of Atlanta are the ones who have had this stolen from them. They didn't choose this. It's the fans. The emotional trauma that they went through thinking that they were going to be able to go to the Midsummer Classic. And now they can't. Are you kidding me? You can't put a number on that. Even though the number that they put on it was $100 million. $100 million. 
<laughs> you can't put a number on that. Come on. Dude, we could make so much money just going on the radio doing that. Just like staying in character. Mm-hmm. The trauma. The trauma that we went I mean, through. Clearly, we could make a lot of money taking this to court. You know? This man's made a career out of doing stuff like this. I want him losing lawsuits. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time to go to up. It's time to go to up. Uh, Alex, I'm going to play for you some of the dulcet tones of Gary Cohen and Ron Darling on the Mets broadcast against the Padres on June 4th. This was brought absolutely. This was brought to our attention by a listener named John, who was wondering if we had seen Gary and Ron discussing minor league baseball on this broadcast on June 4th. Uh, I was watching the game. However, it was on mute because this was during my aforementioned spelling bee victory. So I had to keep it on mute on the side. So I missed it. But this is what I missed. A very rich conversation that definitely should have been discussed on Tipping Pitches last week. Well, things are changing slowly in the minor leagues. You know, they've trimmed down the minor leagues, and they're at least making an attempt to treat the players better. Some organizations better than others. Right. Whether that's housing them or feeding them or paying them more because the conditions have been abominable for a long, long time. I mean, if you want your players to be the best version of themselves, why wouldn't you take care of them? But that's... That's up to the suits and the and the ties, not up to me. But I mean, it makes no sense. I think there's a growing awareness yeah. of that too. If you, if you want uh, to nurture a product, you have to feed it. Yeah. Swing and a miss, and Snell is down on strikes. Third strikeout for Lucchese. So only one blemish first time through the batting order for Lucchese, and that was the Machado home run. He's retired eight of nine, and now back to the top of the order in Tommy Pham. In fact, I think uh, an old teammate of mine, Scott Brocious, uh, I think it's his son that has played a big role in trying to get a lot of um, things done for minor leaguers that have been not taken care of in the past, and I applaud that, certainly. Of course, there is a way to completely take care of the minor leaguers, and that would be for the Major League Players Association to take the minor leaguers on. Amen to that. Tommy That's right. That's time. right, Alex. You heard it. You heard it. Straight from Gary Cohen and Ron Darling's mouth to God's ears. Unionize the fucking minor leagues. That sounded like a conversation between you and I. It really did. Do you have any immediate reactions, immediate takes? Should we get them on the pod? I, you know, Bobby, that's not up to me. That's up to the the suits and the ties, you know, upstairs. I, Amazing line. I just show up. Amazing line. Um, the suits and the ties who d- decide what we talk about every week. The suits and the yes. ties. Our executives here at uh, Tipping Pitches Media. Um, mm-hmm. No, I mean, we can't get them on the pod because that conversation strikes me as them walking right up to the line of what they're mm-hmm. allowed to say as MLB broadcasters. Yes. And not a toenail across the line. And bringing them on to talk about that conversation, that short back and forth that they had, would um, would send them well past the line. Uh, but I do want to say that's awesome. What an awesome conversation for them to have on a broadcast, uh, in a way that is you know winking of the people who know how bad it is, and informative for the people who don't know how bad it is. Just to bring up Scott Brocious and to bring up Garrett, his son, and the lawsuit and everything like that to talk about what it would mean 
and how we could remedy some of these problems with a very basic solution of allowing the minor leaguers to have a union and join the MLB Players Association, I think really does a lot. There's millions of people watching that game who don't, maybe not millions, I don't know. Maybe I'm overstating how many people watch a Mets, <laughs> Mets game on Friday night, but there are at least hundreds of thousands of people watching that game who have never thought about that and have never had to think about that. And they did because they brought it up. So thank you to John for emailing us, um, flagging that so that we could talk about it on the podcast. Um, I'm, I'm just blessed every day to have Gary, Keith, and Ron uh, calling Mets games, though Keith was not featured in this video. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm wondering what he might have to say about all this. <laughs> I'm not wondering. I'll leave that to the, uh, to the imagination for everyone else. But, I, uh, but you know, this, the, it, it connects back to what we talked about last week with regards to someone like Bob Brenly, right? In that broadcasters are spokespeople yes. for the sport yes. and can massively influence the way that people think about the game. It's very easy to pick up kind of the same mannerisms as a, as a broadcaster or, or hearing the way that they talk about players. You will, they are, they are the gatekeepers in a sense. So this sort of thing is, like you said, incredibly important. And frankly, I thought you were going to uh, play the clip of them just tearing Rob Manfred's asshole a new one over instant replay <laughs> and just going it, talking about how nobody off, is awful, safe. atrocious. Nobody is, is safe I mean, on a Mets broadcast. They, they cry. I was so surprised. They crossed the line on that one. It sounded like us. Hell yeah. I love them so much. Um, since yeah. Keith wasn't featured in that lovely audio that we just played. I thought, Alex, for the listeners, I thought I might play them a treat, uh, a video of just Keith. Are you ready? Okay. But anyway, we love our Met fans, and I'm wishing you a very happy birthday. The Mets look very good this year. I'm sure you feel the same way. And uh, I want to give a big shout-out to your podcast that you created called Tipping Pitches. So good luck with that as well. Yeah. I that is right. Keith Hernandez wants to give a big shout out to tipping pitches. We got incredibly he did that of his own volition. I know. It just showed up in our DMs. It's, it was one day. Literally, he just he it was like he texted it to us. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Crazy. It, yeah. It must have been maybe Alex when um when Alex Rodriguez was trying to buy the Mets, he probably called up Keith, who was his favorite player growing up, and he was like, Hey. Uh, while we're here talking about baseball, I want to tell you about my favorite podcast, Tipping Pitches. And then Keith started listening. That must have been how mm-hmm. chain of events there. Do you think that like this goes against Cameo's terms of service? Like you can't pretend like the person said it outside of that context, you know? Cameo? What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, next okay. Up. up for you, up for you. Up for me. I dumped all over the City Connect jerseys last week. I did. I felt no shame about it. I still don't. However, Thought Warrior Alex these, can't be swayed by public D, opinion. These D-back City Connect jerseys are these are the ones that you love. Yes, I think they're great. Yeah, but I just thought that you would be a fucking downer. <laughs> you always are. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so are you? We have a segment named after being a downer. Um, Up comes first in the segment name. <laughs> Life contains dualities. The City Connect jerseys for the D-backs are incredibly tight. They, uh, they, they, they tip their cap to the Sonoran Desert in Arizona. They are this kind of beautiful cream hue, and they say Serpientes 
on the with a with a you know a little snake as an s that means venomous snake right um and and they got like a little arizona flag on the side i don't know they're just they're clean they don't try and do too much which i think that some of the other jerseys have tried to do is like shoehorn a bunch of different ideas into one thing yeah like the cubs were like this represents all 40 neighborhoods of chicago and it's like no it no it doesn't so i don't know I'm I'm just here to say I don't hate all jerseys. <laughs> okay, Put it great. on record. I didn't know that you were introducing a new segment called Alex Defines Words in Spanish, but I love it. We, can you do more? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gotta do you want me to just throw words out and then define them? Yes. That's what okay. the listener wants to hear. No. Um mm-hmm. good choice. I like the jerseys. The video was was kind of weird and funny, but uh I like it. I love the Sonoran Desert. It's very beautiful and terrifying. Um, Big Sonoran Desert fans here. <laughs> My second up this week is, I'm not sure if you saw, but on the regular MLB show, we did a 25 under 25. And then on MLB Network, it's been like their under 25 week or whatever. It just I think that just happened to line up that way. I don't think anybody stole anyone's ideas. Um, however, you know, in thinking about making my list for the 25 under 25, I really struggled with the top four. And it got me thinking, Alex, about a conversation that we had with Randy Wilkins on the podcast in the offseason, where Randy said that he misses when you used to be able to have good baseball arguments. And with the proliferation of sabermetrics, it's really hard to argue that one player is having a better season than another player. So the MVP has sort of fallen away a little bit. Um, We can paint a very layered statistical argument about why one player should win versus another player. But when you start talking about projecting towards the future, we don't have all those numbers nailed down necessarily. Um, it's it's very hard to predict what's going to happen in the future in baseball. Guys fall off cliffs all the time. Um, and so when I was making my list, the top three on my list were in this order, Tati, Soto, and Acuna. But I basically would have accepted any order for those guys for the best players who are going to have the best careers, who are currently under 25 years old. And I just, what's up for me this week is baseball arguments. Randy was right. It's really fun to just respectfully disagree and like choose a guy and you are in that guy's corner forever. I'm choosing Tatis. I think he's going to have the best career and be the best player and be transcendent and be our generation's Griffey, all that stuff that we've said about Tatis a million times. But I couldn't be mad at you if you were on the Zoom right now and you tried to tell me, all that same stuff about Ronald Acuna Jr. I mean, right. he is like... Which is true. I think he's probably my number one, Bobby. And frankly, I don't even see how you could put Tatis number one. Embrace debate. Frankly. Embrace debate. Um, no, so that's my that's my second up this week. Um, I just love that everybody can just disagree a little bit. You know, that feels nice. It's like a throwback. Yeah, right? We don't do much of it on this pod, but it is kind of reinvigorating when we... When we do, you know, and it's, it's not just a like, shame. It's it's never over the players themselves, right. which we pretty much uniformly agree on. It's not like it's not like it was when people were arguing between Trout and Miguel Cabrera, though, because there was a right answer there. And there's not necessarily a right answer here other than the fact that I'm right and Tatis is going to have the best career. But like, it's not insulting to have the wrong opinion <laughs> to one side or the other. And that's just such a it's such a rare feeling these days. Yes. In the spirit of this podcast, I I couldn't agree more with you on that point. <laughs> okay, what's next for you? 
Um, next up for me is just Brett Phillips's presence in baseball. Nice. Like just an absolute joy. Day in and day out. This was mostly spurred by um, the, the, the moment yesterday in the Rays-Orioles game where Jorge Lopez was pitching for the Orioles. And Brett Phillips was up at bat. And Lopez ran one uh, up and in on him that got, that got Phillips in, like the, in the shoulder. And he very dramatically starts pointing at Lopez and mouthing some words at him making it look like he's going to charge the mound. And the umpire feels compelled to sprint over to Phillips and start and, you know, put his hand out to start holding him back. At which point Phillips turns to him and is like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking with you. Like we're like, we're friends. Like it's cool. I'm just joking around. And my man was like laughing all the way down to first base. And that is just like, ah, Brett Phillips out here reenacting the scene from Goodfellas. Funny. (laughs) You think I'm funny? Like a clown? <laughs> I just, like, maybe more players should react like this when they get beamed, you know? Yeah. Like, just, like, just fuck, just fuck around yes. a little bit. Yeah. We also recently came upon the anniversary of the Hunter Strickland, uh, Bryce Harper brawl. And I just rewatched that again the other day. And, oh, my God. I can't Shit believe. Shit was insane. Still cannot believe Bryce missed with the helmet. I mean. I, it is it is unfathomable what happened there. I need, a, like, a physics professor to explain to me what happened. I think we said this at the time, but, like, it almost makes me feel like he was trying to miss so that he didn't get suspended, like, for 60 games. Yeah, but he missed, like, <laughs> it went, like, backwards. I know. It was, like, Rick and Keel-esque. <laughs> <laughs> wow shots fired um okay what is last up for you this week okay last up for me is it's still baseball related but it's selfish and it's personal and it doesn't really apply to anybody else listening to this but i'm going to a dodgers game on tuesday of this week i'm going to a padres game on friday of this week and then i'm going to a dodgers game the following friday i'm doing it alex i'm doing southern california baseball life right i'm getting out to the ballparks we're fully vaxxed. Everything is a- approaching normalcy and still not there yet. Still kind of weird, but but it feels so good to have a real baseball season and to see real baseball games in front of my face. And I know that I talked about that when I went to the Angels A's game, but something about Dodger Stadium, you know, and I haven't been since 2019, obviously. So I'm pumped. I'm pumped. And of course, going down to San Diego. And seeing Tatis and the crowd will be more full than it was the last time I did that because Tatis was injured and the Padres were like 20 games out of first when I went to Petco Park. Uh, I'm so pumped. I'm so pumped. It's going to be great. This is like this uh, is like he, the type of if, thing that up was invented for. <laughs> just going to baseball games. Yeah. Just 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 a vibe. Yeah. All right. Join me at the Mets tomorrow then. All right. You have time. When did the A's come into to the Yankees? You might want to be careful with that this year. There's a lot of pent-up aggression in the Bronx these days about the Yankees. <laughs> you know, usually you go there and they beat up on the A's and they razz you a little bit. But this one, this year might be a little different. <laughs> yeah, like if the A's win, I'm a little worried about what they have. I'm tucking my jersey back in my backpack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, final up for you. My final up for me, which we incredibly 
did not reference this entire podcast, but it was the interview answer heard round the world. One Garrett Cole was, uh, was asked about spider tack. Well, doing a little press conference as one does. I can't believe it took this long for this to come up. I know it was this is the last thing we're going to talk about. So this is this is it. Will you, um, Garrett Cole was asked if he if he specifically uses a uh, a, a certain illegal sticky substance to uh, to enhance his uh, spin rate or or just just use it in general. And can you, Bobby? Can you just play his answer for us? Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if uh, I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, I mean, there are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players, from the last generation of players to this generation of players, and um, I, you know, I, I don't. I think I don't I don't know I I don't know how to answer that. I mean <laughs> when I first saw this video, I was like, dang, has Garrett Cole been watching tape of what it looks like to record an episode of tipping pitches? <laughs> Pausing between like six seconds between words. Trying to think about what you're gonna say carefully so that you don't actually accidentally say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Garrett, Garrett, you didn't say the wrong thing, but you also didn't say anything. So, <laughs> also again, like if your answer to a yes or no question isn't immediately no, people might raise some questions about whether your answer is yes. I'm just putting that one out there, and I he's in a tough position because he doesn't want to incriminate himself. I guess. But I don't know. Feels like there was probably an easier route for him to take rather than just like, like he ultimately ended on like a on a very non-answer that was like, have traditions been passed down, <laughs> right? Like guys, you know, do guys use any substances ever? What is a substance? Yeah, yeah. Just make it existential as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's beautiful. It is an up. Good choice. Okay, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Tipping Pitches. Thank you for listening. All the same old stuff, Alex. TippingPitchesPod at gmail.com. Tipping underscore pitches on Twitter. Uh, we didn't do any voicemails this week, but we will probably do a couple next week. 785-422-5881 is our voicemail number. Uh, you can call and complain about your team's owner. You can call and tell us whether you think Tatis, Acuna, or Soto will have the best career. Whatever you want to do. You can call and do it. Uh, last thing I'll say is that it's been a while since I made a, a selfish plug to ask people to share the podcast with someone who they think might like it uh, or, you know, or rate us on iTunes, whatever. Anything helps. We are a small operation with no marketing budget and we can't grow the podcast without the help of the wonderful listeners who listen to it every week, uh, whom we are very appreciative of. Alex, anything else to add? I don't think so, although I, I think the only thing that, you know, I'll leave you with is that we might need to add a, a force majeure clause into uh, into our operating agreement. Not that I th- imagine any strife with you down the road, but, you know, 
Should there be an act of God that doesn't allow <laughs> us to per- perform our podcasting duties, I think we should be prepared. That's a great point. I'll start writing that one up. I'll have my people send it to your people. Thanks for listening <laughs> to Tipping Pitches, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya!